Are we going? Are we running? Hey, this is round two. Sorry, Welcome Matt. back. Oh, don't apologize. So sorry. Microphone difficulties. They, we, we're going to do this again. We are. but And we're going to do it better. This is October 7th, 2016. It's the 14th episode of Season 7 of the Soybean Pass Podcast. Yay! <laughs> we're oh, back. Oh, man. I can't oh. believe we're doing this again. Oh, It's good. We're doing it for the people. Your microphone on? Microphone it looks chat. like it's on full good. blast now. Good. It should be. People need to hear you. you I think people really say. need to hear you, so as long uh, as that works, I'm fine. I don't know. I think people have heard enough from me. Hey, um, <laughs> let's do this. Uh, let's. Talk. We just came back from the... International Congress of Entomology, or ICE. In Orlando. Orlando, Florida. And let's point out that, you know, we made it back safely. Uh, no issues with the the hurricane that people are suffering from now. Yeah. That's a bummer. Feel it, was bad the, for them. it was the largest insect or entomology meeting ever. Something like, what did you say? Nearly 7,000 people, oh, I think, goodness. were there. So largest attended meeting ever. And it... Happens only every three years. The last time it was in the United States was, I think I wasn't even born yet. Oh, really? So, How long ago? You know, at least oh, twenty wow. years ago. No, oh. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's been a, it's been since the seventies, and so in. yeah. But uh, we're back. It was amazing, uh, but fair to say overwhelming. Um, you want to do a brief recap of some of your favorite, some of your highlights? Yeah, I think I think before our our. our ice meeting our last podcast we talked about kind of some wish list things and i was really seeking out research updates on resistance through either insecticides or through transgenics and so there was a lot of choices i mean this this program was over 500 pages long and so you kind of had to be picky but i did fall into a couple sessions that talked about performance of bt on western corn rootworm and that's a that's a issue that's been in the forefront here for iowa growers for a number of years and basically that resistance is intensifying on all four traits, but it's not just Iowa. Many of the states that are surrounding us that are in continuous corn are also seeing issues with BT. And so I heard a number of presentations that talked about um, using them alone and together, and then also layering on top of insecticides and kind of results showing that the preference would be to use traits or insecticides, not at the same time. And that basically the resistance to all those four traits is slowly intensifying with use. And so I didn't really hear any, okay, so now we're going to use this, like any novel things that are coming up in the pipeline. So that part was kind of, it was good to know, but I didn't really get information about what to recommend to people as far as alternatives. So a lot of bad news. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, not, not a surprise. Yeah. It wasn't surprising news, but it was um, just, I was reinforced, you know, that other other states are starting to see more and more of the same thing. I also happened to be in a, in a business meeting that talked about performance of Cry1F, which is another BT trade in corn for Western bean cutworm, and it's not really... So, Cry1, uh, this is above ground, above ground for tree. LEPs. Yep, for And it was originally targeting European corn borer? To my knowledge, yes. Yeah. And, and now there's, I mean, there's there's evidence that it also provides protection to other LEPs like... I think other caterpillars. Um, yeah. Right offhand, I'm not sure if it includes corn earworm, armyworm, uh, some of those other caterpillars, okay. but... Um, basically, what a few observations for for people like me 
but in other states is that the performance of cry1f on western bean cutworm caterpillars isn't doing so great either in fact they would consider it failures and or this resistance. is this is resistance it's yeah. developed too okay yeah and so it would be in states like nebraska michigan oh. ohio indiana mm. um so it's kind of like there's this gap of you know minnesota iowa where real big pest pressure of the of western bean is on either side but and so the, what they really t- we're talking about is is going back to more of the traditional means of pest management which includes scouting on a very regular basis and then using foliar insecticides because mm. the the trait really isn't holding up as and, well and they have enough pressure from western bean cutworm that they need to scout and think yeah about i mean I, I saw some pictures where i, I don't know if you if any any of you have seen injury from western bean cutworm but uh, when the caterpillars get into the ear and they start damaging the kernels it usually also brings along uh, fungal pathogens and so the ears get like really moldy and so the ears you know they have the they have the loss of the feeding from the grain but then you also get a quality dock because the the kernels get all moldy it's it's a really gross nasty pest but anyway heard a little bit about that and then I also heard uh, about some bifenthrin, which is a pyrethroid resistance to cornworm adults. And so maybe Ooh. not as popular in Iowa, but in, in other states, especially where they have irrigation, the practice of, of adult um, insecticide use, or sometimes it's called beetle bombing, is fairly popular. Bomb the beetles! Yeah, and so, uh, of course, you know, pyrethroids in some cases can be a real cheap choice. And so with overuse with any insect, any insecticide, eventually there's going to be some issues. And so people were seeing bifenthrin resistance. So they're seeing, again, poor knockdown, poor performance, whatever you want to call it, for rootworm adults. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are just some of the resistance highlights I saw. So um, I was at a symposium titled Rapid Evolution of Insect Pests Within Agroecosystems, hosted by uh, Yolanda Chen and Sean Chauville. Um, University of Vermont and University of Wisconsin, respectively. And this was interesting. I think it relates to what you just talked about because they had about a dozen or so people talk about ways in which insects can rapidly evolve um, within farming systems, mostly to insecticides, but um, there were other examples as well Mm -hmm. uh, to insect-resistant plants. The one that uh, I thought was most interesting, and again, I think this relates to what you were hearing, um, was by a scientist named Lena Lindstrom. She's of a university in Finland, and that university is spelled uh, with a (laughs) lot of V's and Y's and K's. Umlauts. (laughs) Yeah. um, Java. We'll edit that out. But anyway, uh, she gave a really interesting talk about a system with... uh, Colorado potato beetle and that they become pre-adapted for insecticide resistance when they're exposed to sublethal doses of the of insecticides yeah and this is interesting I think because um, we spray insecticides you know for a given insect like say soybean aphids but there are other insects in those fields yep. that may get exposed and it may not be enough to kill them but it's enough to get them sort of kind of prime the pump such that when, say, we need to spray for spider mites and soybeans, now they've developed resistance and we haven't been spraying specifically for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was an interesting talk, and it got me thinking about ways in which 
you know, sort of other routes of exposure can lead to insect uh, resistance to insecticides. Um, yeah, do you think that has anything, uh, an example could be stink bugs? Like you're spraying adults, which are harder to kill. They get kind of those sublethal doses, and they would pass that on to their offspring. Is that a possible example? Yeah, although, yeah, it could be. See, one of the things she was showing was that the Colorado potato beetles, when they're sprayed, when the adults are sprayed, their, their next generation, their young, are heavier. Hmm. When there's when the mothers have been exposed to insecticides, than when they're not, and um, wow, and it's not just that they develop more slowly. In fact, they develop more quickly, but they eat more, and uh, it's like a feeding stimulant. Well, no. well, yeah, I guess. Except that the stimulant was applied to the mother, and then That's it's expressed weird. in the uh, the progeny. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, like I said, weird and remarkable. I don't know um, if you've ever seen the Colorado potato beetle no. infestation with like potatoes. Yeah. Man, those things, they just are hungry, hungry, and they just look like sticks. They, when the, the beetles do. go through, yeah, the plants look like sticks yeah. because basically they just shred the whole thing. There so. were some pictures that they showed, and, uh, and it was remarkable, like yeah. night and day difference. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> one scientist uh, commented that, you know, it, it takes more than – five thousand dollars in two years <laughs> of research to address this problem oh with research funding yeah yeah, yeah it's it's yep. it's a pain um so that's ice i guess we should tell people the remarkable thing um in the uh exhibit hall oh yeah you want to tell them about the the vibrating needle that was the... Yeah, well, when there's an exhibit where they sh showcase a lot of industry and and new products and that kind of thing. And so I like to take a little hot lap to see what's new, what's hot. And when I, I went there the first day, and there was a sign that said, Tattoo and Art. And my there was nobody in the booth yet. They were just kind of setting it up. And so I walked by thinking that it was going to be the temporary tattoos yeah. that sometimes no. the, the booths turn out and I thought oh okay I'm going to come back here because I like to pick up some of those for my nieces and nephew yeah. so the next time I circle back no it's like the actual gun they've got the color palette out they yeah. have these drawings and people are getting real tattoos it was so crazy and I was just you know fifty, 50 bucks fifty dollars you, you can get an insect tattoo yeah. and they just had a little uh, like an example sheet but you could bring your own and oh, she yeah? was book solid you know for the entire conference every time I go by again she just uh, she was a busy busy lady yeah. did a lot of people like their insect and they tattoos. were taking taking up the opportunity to get an insect yep. tattoo so that was ice does that happen at your meeting no <laughs> <laughs> yeah how many agronomists are getting tattoos of a <laughs> tractor don't think so um so we're back in ames back in iowa and fall invaders oh my gosh these are not things that we brought with us from florida oh yeah no. are you getting oh calls no. about or from friends and family neighbors about invaders around yeah. the house yeah. yeah what can you do about this? i have all these beetles in my house what do i do yeah. or box elder bugs the most uh, d disturbing one to me is the box elderbugs because those are harmless. They're such sweet little insects. Aww. They don't hurt nobody. Leave them alone. They just want to release them back outside. Or well, they you know they're fine if they find a little crack or crevice to hang out in. If anything, they're doing you a favor. They're showing you where you got an opening that you probably should caulk. 
but don't spray insecticides they're harmless but eh, that's not just worth my it opinion. yeah um the one aureus insidiosus the little minute the, pirate bug yeah the little black and white guy gal that they're very small yeah very small they're not mosquitoes oh no and they're not any type of fly midge no see them and it's a true bug yeah and they they are thirsty right now for anything because they've come out of soybeans and they're looking for something to get them through until they overwinter so they're predatory so normally in the summer they're great you yeah. see them feeding on yeah. aphids and other things but in the fall of course the aphids are gone all the food is gone and they're hungry so probably another week or two of that until we get a frost and then then that'll knock them back yeah but sorry kind of sucks for a while yeah i wrote a blog about it through our icm website i can put a link so that you guys can see some pictures i'm an adult and yeah i do mm-hmm. um and then the last thing i guess is to bring up the fall invader that's not invading homes but it's invading buckthorn uh, our postdoc matt kaiser uh, found aphids on buckthorn and this is remarkable because it's challenging to find them and matt okay. within a couple of minutes um found some on campus yeah yeah um and the other thing he found was aphids on buckthorn that had been parasitized by wasps so there's both good news bad news here bad news is we had a healthy enough population of aphids that they're over they're getting to their overwintering site yeah yeah it's too soon to say they've overwintered but you know they're at least there and that's unusual the good news is they're bringing with them the natural enemies that attack them. And maybe that's really good news because if those wasps survive the winter, they're going to be a source of mortality next spring. That's right. So keep your fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not It's definitely not normal. We don't see that. Well, you haven't seen that how many years? The last time we saw, a l- or I saw a lot of aphids on buckthorn, or saw, for that matter, any aphids on buckthorn was, what, 2009? Yeah. When we had tremendous numbers yeah. flying around. And that was a year where we had a lot of aphids coming out of soybean fields. Yeah. This year, I don't know if we've had a lot of aphids in soybeans. It's not the worst year we've ever yeah. had. It's definitely not like a widespread state yeah. thing. So it's, it's surprising to me that we had enough that we got to back to they got back to buckthorn mm-hmm. especially now with aureus and harmonia flying around um there's still a lot of predators out there that would um, attack them but anyway it's interesting what it means don't know yet but it's something uh we'll kind of keep an eye on going mm-hmm. forward especially yeah. next spring yeah Anything? maybe just one last thing i think we talked briefly the last time about uh, icm conference or integrated crop yeah. management conference and that's November 29th and December 1st. We both got on the schedule. You're on the first day. I'm on the second day. Registration hasn't opened up yet, but when it does, I'll I'll send a, a link with our podcast so you guys can get registered because it usually does sell out. And the big exciting thing is you may have some data to share with people on whether we have pyrethroid-resistant soybean aphids in Iowa. Yeah, that's what I'll be talking about, aphids and some of the resistance issues that are popping up. Hopefully, I'll have an example to share right from Iowa, which okay. is, you know, uh, will be important. That's where most of the people attend the conference are from. So um, I'll be doing that. And you're talking about honeybees, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the work we've done and looking at how honeybees use corn and soybean fields. 
and then talk a bit about how some states and countries are addressing the concerns that beekeepers have and I guess the general public have about um, how farming practices may affect those bees. So Mm -hmm. a little bit of science, a little bit of reporting on, you know, just the general topic. And there will always be some laughs. Uh, really? Yeah, you're a funny guy. Oh, that's, that's so sweet. Yeah. Uh, it's entertaining. We, we really are now filling time if it's gotten to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Aaron. Okay. Talk thank you. Later.